is Chelsea Higgs Wise. And I decided to start a show about being the biracial girl who was living her life, being half and half, never picking a side until one day the world informed me, girl, you're black. I'm from the listening to Race Capital on WRIR. And this week, I have something pretty special. I've invited my radio sisters from Municipal Mania. Hey. Hello. You know them. Miss Busy B RVA. Hey. Hi. It's Melissa Vaughn. And Lipstick and Legos. What up? That's Fran, y'all. And who am I over here, like, waving at? <laughs> Us. I'm just waving at y'all. Hi. Introduce myself to y'all. Today we have joined forces because we have a special two-hour show for you all. Yes. Two hours. Two hours. You have to listen to Race Capital and RVA Dirt, Municipals Mania, to get all of the good stuff that we have to explain to you what's going on with our HBCU Research Fellowship. You may remember that on February 1st, Ralph Northam's yearbook came out with Blackface and a Klansman mm-hmm. on his yearbook page. That sparked all sorts of outrage, but the ladies and I decided we wanted to do something positive in that moment. And we started a GoFundMe to raise money to pay HBCU students 25 bucks an hour. Yep. And how blown away were you when the money started rolling in dog that was just nuts we right? were in i the- was ecstatic surprised. every minute we were like updating each other on the totals it was insane how many people really wanted to help out with that so it was crazy it was crazy to see the support come in and so much thanks to dr tressy cotton she put us out there and her people showed up And we were able to raise over $7,000 in order to support five HBCU students from Virginia State University in a eight-week-long fellowship. We looked at yearbooks. We looked at digital yearbooks and archives. And thanks to the help of the Race and Racism Project over at University of Richmond, as well as the Digital Archiving Program over at Library of Virginia, we were able to look at several different yearbooks, hardcover and on the digital webs. Library of Virginia had high school yearbooks as well well as some college yearbooks we were able to even get some special surprises all from all around the state and country from people that were researching yearbooks and heard about our projects and wanted to support these fellows and, and what they were finding and, and even some schools that were trying to hide their yearbooks oh. for this exact reason yep yep yeah. and they slid on up in our dms real quick like here's the stash since Shh. the school's trying to throw it out <laughs> But shh, don't tell nobody. Yeah. So we appreciate all of that support because everyone knew what this fellowship was really about, right? Yeah. Well, no, not so much. Oh, not all of them? Well, not everybody. So with anything that pops up organically that's not marketed properly or expertly mm-hmm. ahead of time so that people can digest it, you know, you're going to have haters. Right. So, of course, we had people that were, I don't know, you know, February in and of itself was just a wild time. And so people were all over the place were trying to understand what was happening with the yearbook crisis in the first place. Was it him? Was it not him? What do we do? Us and, included. We yeah. were running around. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And we were, everybody was just kind of like, you know, what do we do now with this? Like, what do I do with my hands? I don't know. Well, we were getting piled on on Twitter by people from out of state that had no idea how things work in Virginia, yeah. trying to tell us our business. Yeah. Or, or just tell us that we're absolutely, what do you call it when you're 
racist but with just like political parties what is that called does that have a name because if it doesn't it should <laughs> right because right. that's basically what we were if he was a republican he'd be out right and it's like well what is that word mm. is that like is there a word for that right because know. for us it had zero to do with you know with party affiliation it was yeah. just wrong yeah i mean blackface and wearing kkk hoods is just wrong exactly and for the people who are actually hurt by this process we could care less what party you were in because all of y'all ain't worth a damn but okay <laughs> you know what i'm saying so you had that going on you know you had people who literally mistook what it was and maybe that was our fault in the titling i don't know how we could have titled it anymore clear yeah, I mean, but, we, we came out just saying HBCU students researching yearbooks, yearbooks, right? Yeah, and people were like, why y'all researching the HBCU yearbooks? That's stupid. No, no, like, what no, you no, no. And it's like, Your reading comprehension is lacking. Yeah, and it's like, where'd you get that from? Well, it's right. because people only pick out when they're in a rage what they yeah. want to see and put it together, and then it comes out, and then they look real stupid well, and it, afterwards when they get told. You know, I think it's people, too. They don't even... Some people just hear bits and pieces. You know how stuff, this Richmond, everybody knows everybody. Sure. And if you don't know somebody, you go ask somebody that you think might know that person and then you devolve your entire interpretation of whatever it is that person or the situation on the bits and pieces that you get. And so we had people that were running around giving bits and pieces about or, or you know, information was just kind of getting thrown out there, even though we had an entire GoFundMe with a very detailed explanation of what it was. Reading comprehension is hard. Right. Well, but I mean, but well, again, you have to read it. And so right. people were talking about things that didn't know. We had black women in our own community that were like, why are white girls out here researching HBCU yearbooks? <laughs> that was What hilarious. are y'all looking for? Right. And literally the only white people that were really involved with this who, I mean, we had a person, um, Chelsea was a friend of yours that came and kind of brought the idea in and was like this might be cool if somebody could raise money for it but she literally never did any press right and then i guess because rva dirt's voice is attached to it and i guess because i'm a minority <laughs> within the group i'm like not even recognized as a yeah. member i guess or a black person you're the black one of rva just, dirt i don't even know if sometimes i'm not even that because it's like the white girls jesus yeah no so, and, you know and so people literally ran with that and at that point no one had done press for this except for two black ass women right right me right. and Chelsea. Right. <laughs> That's it. That's it. But right. people were like, these white girls are taking advantage of HBCUs and this is a mess. Yeah. And, and it's like, what y'all talk about? I mean, there was a lot of talk from HBCU <laughs> graduates, from yeah. folks that were just like, what is the point of this? Why would, this is harm on them. This is not their work. Well, it, it was not just us sitting them in front of a computer in front of your book and say, go. Yeah. Well, and not, and not only that, and I think that was, that was one of the important parts. So part of, and, and again, nobody you would assume that people's response would be that if you had us forcing people to do it, these students came to us after we put it out there on their campuses. And we actually had students reach out from Virginia Union as well. But, you know, with scheduling with them being athletes, it just didn't work out. And but, because we were all doing this for volunteer sake, right? And yeah, so this right. is us just adding this extra time. And so yeah, yeah. we wanted to make sure we support what we could do. Right. And they came to us and you'll hear in the second hour of the show a little bit more about how the fellows came to know about the fellows fellowship but we're really excited to have them speak together up next 
their experiences and what they want everyone to hear yep. about the last eight weeks. Yep, as a group, what we've been doing. We had some field trips. Yeah, this was a really interesting time. I think we all learned. This was definitely a co-learning, yep. co-sharing space. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But this was not a gotcha campaign. Yeah, this was not the gotcha paper, y'all. We weren't looking to produce <laughs> no. a gotcha ass. We saw you. That's not what we were trying to do, actually. It's, it we're was not putting out a billboard? Yeah, right. No. 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 no it was That's... more, it was really more about continuing the conversation and finding action in a place where everyone across the state of Virginia was like, what do we do? Right. This is so crazy. Right. And so much of this is happening because we are not educating about black history, about minstrel shows, right. about no. what type of images are happening in the idea of white minds mm-hmm. and our own minds about black people. And this was an opportunity for us to take a terrible incident and turn it into something really That's powerful. educational and, 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 under, and helps even a younger generation understand what that is because if they're not seeking it out, they're not getting it. It's about continuing the conversation and that's what has to happen. So I'm excited. I hope you guys continue listening to hear the group discussion from our fellows and stay tuned. Okay, welcome ladies. Just as we go around, give everybody's name who is here in this conversation. I'm Michaela Walker. Brianna Harris. Daisha Smith. Erica Neal. And you all, the four out of five of the scholars, thanks so much for being here. I'm ready to dive right on in to the research and how you all have been doing with it. It's been about eight weeks. What's the overall feel that you all have after diving into racist yearbooks for the last eight weeks? Enlightened. I'm definitely enlightened because I learned a lot about my area as far as past racism and stuff like that mm-hmm. that I never would have thought happened would have happened. And where are you from, Michaela? I'm from Woodbridge, it's Northern Virginia, mm-hmm. and like growing up there, like people always tell you we're different from the rest of Virginia because they say that we don't experience, we don't have those experiences of racism. We're just like not really, I wouldn't say better, but like we're we don't experience that type of racism. Everybody's like just cool, and then to actually like research back in like the '70s and they was doing a lot of blackface and stuff like that back then. It's like it's crazy. What are some other just general reactions from after doing this for the last eight weeks? For me, I felt really empowered and encouraged, inspired to start creating spaces where we can just encourage each other to use our skill sets, build up our skill sets. And I was so encouraged that I started my own business. Mm. Um, yes, congratulations. I think that the one thing that kind of set me over the edge was just seeing a lot of the illustrations that were drawn by students in the yearbooks. I was looking mainly at University of Richmond. But it baffled me that there are students on that campus that took pen to paper to draw these racist, hurtful, harmful images. But I realized that Black people have the same ability to do the same and do hurtful things as well. But we've always chosen to use our skills to better our communities and to make the world a better place. So I thought, why stop that and started doing that myself. So that was a a pretty big shock to you to Mm -hmm. see that coming from other college students back in the day? Yeah, this is a place of higher education, higher learning, where we're supposed to be open to new ideas, new cultures, new people. And in that space, it was allowed to be as closed-minded, enclosed, claustrophobic to Mm -hmm. any new ideas. So So empowered, enlightened. 
Another thing that was interesting was how recent that all a lot of the research was or a lot of racist imagery was. It was we're only like 40, 50, 60 years removed from some of the yearbooks that contain a lot of the racist imagery and stuff. So it was that was, you know, people always say, oh, get over it, you know. But when you see in people's daily lives, their regular lives, that there's still this racist portion of it only 40, 50, 60 years removed from where we are now. It's just very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, I noticed when I was doing a lot of my research, I would like go back as far as the earliest yearbook I did was 1908 and going back that far I didn't really see a lot of racist imagery in the yearbooks it wasn't until I got into the 50s 60s and 70s that period that it really started to see it a lot and I know Erica mentioned University of Richmond yearbooks what other yearbooks were you all able to look through Hollins University Hampton Sydney I think I did maybe UVA and William and Mary I did Hollins University as well. I did yearbooks from Fairfax County, Mecklenburg County, Halifax County. These are all high school yearbooks. Hampton and just like mostly I stuck to the southern and eastern part of Virginia and northern Virginia. I also got a chance to, in addition to University of Richmond, I looked at J.R. Tucker High School's yearbook as well as Atlee High School from 1993 to 95, I want to say. Was there any yearbook that stood out to you that was just like, wow, this is a lot? Particularly University of Richmond, The Web of 1922. Talk a little bit about that, Erica. That redefined my definition of what racism looks like. Typically, I was used to looking for images that pertain to harming African-American cultures and people. But this yearbook really made me think about how do other people feel when it's their culture that's being misrepresented or even represented by photographs or illustrations, but not by the people that go there or the people that work there. Particularly with this year of the web of 1922, there were a lot of title pages and students used those spaces to illustrate or as like a segue into whatever topic. And it was mainly appropriating Asian and Native American culture. Aside from one page, which set me over the edge, the title page for the fraternities was a Ku Klux Klan initiation. And that was an illustration, not an image. That was somebody put pen to paper and drew that out. In the same yearbook of 1922? Correct. Wow. How does that affect you? When I first saw it, I was really shocked. I was just like, I froze for a minute. It's one thing to see the hood in like museums. It's one thing to hear about the stories. It's one thing to, I don't know, roll up on them in person. But just to see that somebody put that much effort into drawing. I, w- I used to be an art major mm-hmm. at Virginia State. And I know how much time it took to, to draw just simple things. So to draw something that was so detailed, that was filled with so much hate, there takes a certain amount of concentration. And to think that somebody could put that much concentration and that much hate towards some body, towards some being, towards some culture, baffles me still. I, I still don't know how I could hold that much emotion for that long. I get bored after a while. I got bored after a while to draw, and that's why I switched to political science. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, right. But any of the other images, I didn't really recognize them as racism. I had to call Melissa over like every single time like with those images and she let me know that back in back in that time the 1920s it was really common for white Americans especially white women to be fascinated with Asian culture but they're fascinated with the culture but don't have that representation in the student body or the faculty is what where the disconnect was. So it also brings into question of where are they learning this this type of culture or their traditions from and how do we know that they're authentic or they even want to be. How did you all use one another as a cohort 
to support each other throughout this process. When we had our meetings, we have our meetings like we try to have them like once every two weeks, right? When we do that, like I would ask them sometimes, like I would have them look at what I had done by myself and like look at it and say, hey, I know I think this is bad, but does this really look how I think it looks? And um, I would just ask them those questions. I would like ask them to like basically clarify some things for me. Yeah. Also, we had a um a group message that we were able to you know text through. So just anytime anybody had a question about the actual project itself or where we were meeting or what we were supposed to be doing for that. Week, Week, it was very easy to just like text one another and figure out what was going yeah. on also i would go to polymetrics early so i'll be over there like flipping through and then half the time Bri and erica's there early <laughs> and i go look at this and sometimes i'm not able to tell so i like having a second eye to look at it so that was very helpful and they will be next to me and one right here, one right here, like how we are now. <laughs> and they'll be flipping through it too. And we're just like in the lab going crazy. My favorite part about that was when we were in like the space here, a lot of these pictures would end up in, you know, turn into real life conversations. And we were all educated through that process. There are a lot of things that we didn't know about back then that Fran, you, Melissa would tell us about. And I think that that's the core of the research project really is to introduce us to a different form of racism, a different form of research, one a research that really isn't looked at as big and test tubes and computer analysis and whatnot, but it's still very much valid mm -hmm. and it holds a huge significance in our lives. A big part of this project for us, I know, were to really change the narrative around what racism can look like within these institutional artifacts, such as yearbooks. And you all even said it a lot of times, you weren't sure. It's like, is, is this racist? And I don't remember one time where you asked where it wasn't. We were always able to be like, yes. And shout out to Arena over at University of Richmond Race and Racism and the term of reading against the grain of being able to see, no, these are just very indirect narratives of what is racist and what is coming out with bias. In a lot of the yearbooks, I also noticed that when you find the racism, they're usually under the glee club, under theater. So it's yeah. under a lot of those. So another portion of figuring out what racism actually looks like, sometimes there wasn't even exactly racist imagery, but something I noticed in like, I think Hampton Sydney yearbooks was that all of the staff were like people who are minorities, but all of the students were white people. So it was like that kind of imbalance too. There's no representation in the actual student body, just, and not faculty, like professors and teachers, maintenance or cooking or that type of staff. So that was another portion that it's not like, this is racist, like, oh, we're so bad. But it was just like that kind of microaggressive type of thing going on. Yeah, and I noticed that a lot in high schools as well. It was like Same. you would have all white Americans, white people in the faculty and all that stuff like that. And then you would have one or two black, like the only one or two black people in the yearbook and their janitors. Yeah, 1956 and JRT was like the first time I ever saw an appreciation post, quote unquote, of like the black faculty or not the black faculty, but the black staff, the black maintenance staff. Mm -hmm. It was like, yes, the students appreciate X, Y and Z and they never were addressed by their full name like the teachers or the principal there was always like you know their first name typically their last name their family name so that was the first that was like weird that was like 1956 i want to say yeah and the first time i saw an appreciation post was actually 1908 1908 and it was about a they said, she, I guess she had passed, but it said that she was like a former slave. And then after she was freed, she started working at the school as a janitor. And in the appreciation post, they made it seem like for her, slavery was kind of 
a fun time. That's what they made it seem like. And it was, I thought that was interesting. I even told um, I showed my mom and we both thought it was interesting because she informed me that for some people, it can seem like that just because it would be like you have nothing to compare it to. So for some, you had probably a lot of freed slaves that were, I don't even know how to say it, but they didn't, they didn't think it was that bad. I mean, that's because they had nothing to compare it to. And that's what that's what the post made it seem like. They made it seem like it was a fun time for her in slavery. Do you think that maybe that's where we were as Virginians with our governor? Maybe it's not that bad that we have all white men that have been governor in the past, that we've we've never really taking a step back and read against the grain. Is that where a little bit of where we are, do you think? I think so. I think that you definitely when he did his little press conference after all that came out, his ignorance of his white privilege really showed for real. And I think that's where the disconnect really was for African-American students like us, African-American people who are living in the Commonwealth of Virginia that saw him in that nonchalant state that, oh, well, it's not it's it's not as you know, it's not like I own slaves. Mm -hmm. It was more of like a game. Yeah, he was really seeming like, oh, it wasn't that bad that I did this blackface. It wasn't that bad. In fact, it was almost like his excuse of I did the Michael Jackson dance made it okay. When you all heard about that, what were the reactions to this press conference? I think to me, he was making it when he added the Michael Jackson thing. He was trying to make it seem like he did it because he appreciated the black culture. So I didn't like it because it's like you're making it seem like blackface is okay. It's like, oh, if you appreciate us, then you can do something like that. That is racist. And it's just okay because you appreciate our culture. You appreciate us. I think it was just a bunch of crap. Honestly, him covering his own steps his own wrongdoings i feel like that's the only reason why he would even bring that up or try to push it under the rug it's oh i got caught i look like a fool and now i'm gonna do my best the best i can to just come up with whatever sort of nonsense i can to try to cover my own self up yeah and talking about michael jackson and performing that way for me it seemed as though he attempted to take advantage of people's ignorance to history and it was like well it was just blackface and i was doing this dance to appreciate black culture when we know that minstrel shows were the big part of this culture and him putting on the michael jackson dance was him putting on a minstrel show and the idea that it's not just blackface with white people minstrel shows were the largest form of entertainment in the United States for such a long time. And so for him to distinctly come out and say, well, I didn't do blackface, but maybe this one time I did a Michael Jackson show, you're still perpetuating the idea of it's okay to perform as a minstrel. For me, seeing that press conference, that's when my colleagues and I with Race Capital and RVA Dirt just said, we've got to do something else because we're looking at this and a lot of people don't even understand how awful this really is. We're looking at it and saying, maybe it's not that bad. What are some of the biggest things and takeaways from what you all have learned, the skills that you'll apply later on moving forward in your work? I think the biggest takeaway is it's never too late to redefine what your definition of something is. Everybody grew up with an idea of what racism to them looked like, whether and it's not necessarily a wrong definition, it's just what they grew up with. But this experience really made me think about what does it look like for somebody else? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important for me because, you know, I want to be in a position where I can serve as governor and a senator and 
being able to have that lens for other people and to know what's right and what's wrong from somebody else's lens is extremely important. I was really happy to be able to document what I saw was racist for my community, Mm -hmm. but what is also seen as racist and appropriation for somebody else's because I may not belong to that culture, but actually documenting that is as important as this entire project in itself. I think another thing too that I probably will take away, well, that I will take away from this was just because it happened a long time ago doesn't mean that the implications aren't still here today because a lot of the people that we've potentially seen in these racist imagery pictures could be doctors or lawyers or judges or any sort of position that has an effect on other people's lives on a day-to-day basis. And who knows if those same sentiments that they displayed years ago could be part of their lives today. So just because it happened in the past doesn't mean that it's not worth researching and not worth learning about. For me, I think I learned to definitely brush up on my Black history, brush up on stuff like the menstrual shows and Blackface and how racism looked in certain time periods. And also I learned to pay attention to detail just because there's some stuff that like you just look at and glance over and be not really think much about it. Like certain pictures that I saw in the yearbooks, I was like at first at first glance I looked at I was like, okay, this is nothing. And then there would be something in me that would say, go back to this picture and I would look at it longer and I realized, okay, no, this isn't right. So I learned to pay attention to detail and that's being students that are attending an hbcu and you all looked at pwi your books how did that feel just knowing that your space where you're being educated is so much different and your experience as african-american students at an all-black school is very different than some of the african-americans you all saw in the other yearbooks It was overwhelming feeling of gratitude for my school. I was very grateful that I didn't have to learn in spaces where I am not really sure where my professors and administration sentiments lie. At least at my school, you know, obviously all schools face their challenges and specific to the HBCU experience, there are things that are very unique to our challenges at our schools too, but knowing that at least that wasn't one of them. I know my teachers don't have some sort of secret hatred for me, but it also makes me feel kind of go all the black students who are at PWIs because you're facing probably challenges that I'd never have to face in my school. Like, you know, that can't be easy. When I first interested in your book, like my first inclination was to call all my friends at PWIs and be like, ha ha ha, this is what you have to deal with. I don't have to deal with this at all. But then I started being more like Brianna and like humbling myself because HBCUs have different challenges and those need to be documented too. This research project definitely opened my eyes to the fact that we need to be doing the same things at our schools to prevent these problems from continuously happening. I'm very grateful for the school that I go to. I'm very grateful for the opportunities that provided, but not every space is perfect. And PWIs are one of them. Yeah, they have more money, they have more resources, they have a bigger population, but they have really dark history. We may not have enough money, we barely have any resources, low enrollment, but we have a family. These girls, these people I work with are my family. Regardless of if they were in the same department as me or not, even after working on this, I'd still make sure that they're good. And I know that PWIs have different spaces like that too, like the Black Student Union, but we are the Black Student Union. (laughs) We are. We're the Black Student Union. We're the ones that, you know, have a say about our school. And I think that that gives us such confidence going into bigger spaces in the corporate world or into other higher education spaces where, you know, yes, my voice matters. Being told that early is so important. And I think that that's the whole importance of an HBCU is to just be able to have a space wherever you want to learn, whatever you want to learn, it matters. Whatever you want to say matters. Whatever you want to do, create, it matters. 
First, I want to say, hell, VSU, Virginia State, best HBU in the country. No, um, actually, it really was, y'all. Like, voted number, number one, HBCU. one. The number one HBCU. <laughs> big we got state. Twice in a row, just saying. <laughs> big state, big state. I just thought it was, like, real interesting how before I got to, before I got to VSU, after, like, when I was still in high school, talking to my friends about, I'm going to VSU, I'm going to HBCU, the biggest question that I, that I heard was, why? Why are you going to HBCU when you have, the, all of my friends that I know are going to PWIs. And they were like, basically what I heard was, why would you go to HBCU? PWIs are better. In so many words, it was basically that. And just to read up about this history about how black people were treated at PWIs, I just think that more black people need to really remember that at one time HBCUs were our only options. So we need to definitely remember that when we're thinking about colleges that we want to go to. Because I know for plenty of people at my old school, HBCUs weren't even on their radars. They weren't even looking at them. It was the JMUs and the VCUs and University of Virginia and those type of schools, PWIs, big schools and they weren't even thinking about HBCUs but like I said you need to remember that HBCUs were, were at one time our only options and we need to give them the respect that it deserves just because HBCUs are just as good as PWIs. Another aspect too that I was kind of realizing and coming to a conclusion too while doing this research is that probably the students at PWIs we should as HBCUs our purpose is the betterment of all of our black people and community, right? So even though someone may be a PWI, we could still work on partnering with those students so they feel safe and feel included. Because just because you made a choice to go to a different school doesn't necessarily mean that you should be excluded from the black community. I think I really want to work on better supporting our black brothers and sisters at PWIs in that way so they can still feel comfortable. You know, you're still used at the end of the day, we're getting our education. So that's props to that, regardless of where you go to school. But just making sure that we're still using our schools for our entire community, no matter where where you're going. I really like that idea. And I really want to highlight that historically black colleges and universities were not just made for black people and other communities deserve to be included in them as well. The Native American community, Hispanic community. I really hope to see more HBCUs reach out to them because, yeah, they have minority serving institutions or whatever that means, but those populations that they're minority serving are still less than 50%. There's still faculty populations that are less than 5% of those populations that they claim to be serving. So, and not only reaching out to our community and other communities, but to start including those communities into our faculty and our staff is extremely important in the HBCU experience. It's going to not only enhance it, but it's going to be more inclusive. And I know sometimes we're always looked at, especially the Black communities, always looked at as accommodating, but this is bigger than us. This is bigger than accommodating other people. This is what we were supposed to do from the start. This is what the purpose of those institutions were created for. So what can we expect from you all as a group moving forward? I know we've had some conversations about what you all would like to see, and we've started some of that, but I'd love for you all to share what you all would like to see as a group of individuals, specifically around the research work. I would love to see this go longer, just go longer and doing research on Black history into next year, next fall. That would be awesome. And I also would love to just like work with these ladies again on anything else, any other topics like that. Also being able to maybe institute some of this research and 
documentation that we've learned in high school so that they, that way these students who are maybe on the line of de- deciding where they're going to go for school will have a push to be like, okay, let me go to an HBCU or, you know, not even necessarily an HBCU, but let me get my research up. Let me get my history and my knowledge up. That way they can be better prepared and have a more accurate decision that's going to better serve them. So just kind of being able to spread the information that we've learned to our younger peers. I'd like to say two things. Like I said, our research is significant no matter how you do it. I'd first like to see this research presented in a conference. Right now, I just came back from Morocco, but when I was over there, I was able to look at some of the guidelines to present at the ERN conference, at the National Association of African American College Students Conference. So just being able to get that information out to people who can either help us expand the research or can add a different input or just need to know because as an HBCU student there are a lot of things that I didn't know and I know that there are other students that are in the same predicament as well and can give so much to this project and deserve to have their project of their own on their campus which brings me to my second point. This research has definitely inspired me to start creating spaces for our own. Over time, I kind of got discouraged from not being involved in the same spaces as my white counterparts. But then I started creating my own spaces and started making my own table. And that brings me to my point of why this research needs to be documented at HBCUs as well. We need to have people that are able to talk about, you know, what we did to make these institutions, Mm -hmm. because those conversations can lead into how can we create businesses? Mm. How can we create generational wealth? Mm. How can we spread our stories, our knowledge to help our community to be better than what it was in 1980, to be better than what it is right now in 2019? Mm -hmm. How can we stop repeating the same mistakes and move forward? Erica for president. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask, without Raise Capital and RVA Dirt jumping in and starting a GoFundMe and reaching out to Dr. West Bellamy and saying, hey, let's put this together. How else is this information accessible to students? YBA Virginia has done their own sort of yearbook project, which was a good place for me to start looking through yearbooks because they had a collection of what nearly like 2000 yearbooks that they had in their database. So if someone was really interested in finding history of Richmond or local colleges, local high schools, because no, they did. They only did high schools. So I think just local high schools starting there would be a good base point. So if I, I feel like if this didn't happen, if someone was interested, because, you know, that's that's the first step is being interested in learning more and knowing the history. I think it would simply take Googling, where can I find out, blah, 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 blah. And then Library of Virginia would have been a really good place to start. Yeah, that's actually where I did all of my research was Library of Virginia. They're a great resource. You could, like she said, Google, go to different libraries around Virginia, because a lot of these libraries can help you find these yearbooks. You can go talk to people at schools. Like, I know University of Richmond, they have their own, don't they have, like, their own archive They do. As of now, I will tell you that President Kutcher over at University of Richmond, who is a black man, and University of Richmond has been taking the first steps on really being transparent about their history. But then you look at where the money is going, right? And their archivist is actually not even being funded next year. So their race and racism project is being described as student-led. And as we have learned to read against the grain, that means that they're not going to pay for their faculty support anymore. So even the race and racism project at University of Richmond that was able to provide us the manuals how to do this, just the steps, the tools, the archivist values of this. Now, from what I hear, she's not even going to have a job next year. So it's really interesting to see 
how universities are responding to everything that's happened this year and come to virginia state we need an archivist yep. yeah definitely she needs to come to virginia state she can start there we have a lot of paperwork <laughs> to go through we would love to have an online archive honestly <laughs> yeah We'd love to have an archive of any kind and she can hire there. me as a work-study student <laughs> i'll be there <laughs> no but i definitely agree with that watching where the funding is going because if there's no funding it's hard to get people to come out and really give their best time because it's not easy work and you should be paid for the time that you put into archiving and researching, especially since yeah. it's for the greater good of, uni of your university, especially if you're claiming that you want to be transparent and that you're trying to move forward and work harder. It's heartening to hear. One yeah. of my biggest questions when I heard that University of Richmond had an archive, I was like, do we praise them for being transparent? Is this like what they're supposed to do anyway? Like, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And I really liked your answer, Chelsea. Like, this is some, or and Fran too, you know, this is something that should have already been done. This is something that should have already had access to because most of this stuff shouldn't have happened in the first place. And I think the same goes for all universities public, private, HBCU, minority serving institution. We deserve to know the history of our institution. I mean, it's just basic facts. There are so many things that we can learn from, so many people that we can come in contact with that we should know. And it shouldn't take a commencement speaker here and there or a funded project every now and then to advocate for this because it's our history. So speaking of money, is there any call to action or anything that you want to put out to the greater public of what we should be doing, what should we be asking for from our colleges, from our legislators, from our neighbors? U of R is doing, we should be asking for transparency with our legislators. I feel like if they are open with, like, if they know that they did something in the past, Ralph Northam probably knew that he did that blackface picture. If they're open about it from jump, that shows that they know that it was wrong. They're trying and they're going to try to make up for it, show us that they actually are for us. So I would love to see a lot more transparency within our legislators. I think another thing personally that I would like to see from our communities, including public leaders, is having accurate history in our classroom starting elementary or starting at the beginning and continuing up not just the same tired stories and tired fake history that we learn and see constantly in our textbooks but having things that are accurate and true and informing so that way maybe one day there won't even be a need to demand for transparency or to look in all of these yearbooks and kind of have to find out stuff like that if we're being taught at the very beginning then i think it would eliminate a lot of problems and a lot of ignorance that we see oftentimes in the white community towards minority people so i think definitely demanding funding for our teachers and for our actual information that we're gonna that we're teaching our kids inside of the schools martin luther king is great rosa parks great i went to jamestown five times in a row every year of but, elementary yep, school see and I could have been learning about uh, menstrual shows. Yep, see, all of that, great. It's great for history. I don't need to learn it every single year that I am in elementary school, middle school, high school. I literally learn about World War II every year in every single history class I took in high school. There's no reason why I'm learning the exact same information when there's so much more information about people like Malcolm X, Bobby Seale, Huey P. Newton, Angela Davis, a whole bunch of people in Black history that's important, a whole bunch of people that's in Hispanic history that's important, Asian American history that's important, so on and so forth, Native American history that's important. There is so many other important people that so many important things that we could be learning that we aren't learning because we keep learning the same thing about the same old, tired, whitewashed history. And when we learn about black history, their justification is, okay, we teach about Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, 
like I said, great people, but there's more than that. You, you it's get not your month them. in February, so you yep, should, and y'all you get your month in February. Yeah, um, that, um, which uh, also speaks to when we start seeing the same old faces, it feels like that's all that's available. Mm. I mean, now we have options. We have a we can you can actually be a ballerina and not one for a Sankofa performance. You can be <laughs> the president of the United States. You can also be a senator, a House representative. You can be so many things in the world of politics that just wasn't seen as available to us because we didn't have anybody we didn't know of anybody that represented us if i had known about the delegate that presented the charter of virginia state university to the general assembly at an earlier age oh i would have been on my political raids from jump like right. art wouldn't have been in my history i wouldn't have picked up a pencil i would have just gone straight to the book but i didn't know about delegate alfred harris until i got to virginia state university and i think that that speaks to you know something that i'm hoping to get from this research is to start talking to high school students early just like Brianna said getting in their face about the history that's not taught in the classroom that should be taught in the classroom and i'm also going to call on the general assembly the state legislators the house you just need to be funding these initiatives there needs to be funds dedicated to the to protecting the history of all of these institutions whether it be public or private Mm -hmm. but especially public these are your institutions that are owned by the state they need to have proper access and not just access on paper because yeah we know that not everybody has a computer but i mean we all have libraries that are close to us they need to be online and they need to be maintained the archivists need to be paid properly for these things and this is a great time for students to come in and help with the initiatives to learn more about it if we can have the library of virginia have a whole entire suite on genealogy same energy needs to be provided for archivists for keep that same energy right? keep that same, same energy for your public <laughs> institutions private institutions you guys have all the money in the world i mean i'm not saying you have all the money in the world but you guys cost a lot of money. In comparison, though, to other institutions that are... Yeah. There's no funded. reason why I should be paying $60,000 for me to barely have access to any of the history that's in the school. That's unacceptable. There's no reason. Right. Absolutely not. Now, sometimes it could be a thing of, like you said, it's it's just on paper and they'll tell you that, oh, it's, it is available, but it's hard to find. Like, it, okay, yeah, it's here on paper. You have to dig for a long time to find one thing, whereas... Meanwhile, but it's still, like, it's still the available. football stats from, you know, 1980-whatever, like, you, can, you can find that online. You can go to page 12 on U of R site and click right there, boom. Right there, yeah, I think understand. it all starts, too, with who we are voting for in our local elections Oof. and who are local putting that's extremely important. That's who is going to run all of Richmond is people that are right here, you know. Mm -hmm. Voting for the president is great, awesome, but if you don't focus on who's right here in your community trying to make a change, you'll never actually see the change that you want because as long as we're putting people on our school boards who can help distribute the funds to where they need to be going, making sure that we're really paying attention to who is locally in our elections and the district, the district, district, Restricting as well. I'm not going to go into that, but certainly making sure that we're paying attention to, to attention to locally. Those red lines matter. The districting lines, those absolutely matter. Yep. And I always think it's funny when people tell me that they only vote in the presidential election just because if you only vote in the presidential election, you obviously don't care about what's going on around you. But that's for another conversation. That's a whole other narrative. By the way, primaries <laughs> are June 11th. Please go vote. Yep. <laughs> go vote. I'm serious because I'll go out there and I'll campaign. I don't leave to go to D.C. until the 16th. So I'll be out there. I'll be out there at every poll. <laughs> yep. So when we started this project, we got a lot of hell from people saying, why in the world 
would you gather HBCU students to do this exhaustive work? It's not their job. Why is that their responsibility? We just got a lot of flack from some people, even black people that were just like, this is not our work. Well, if no one else is going to do it, somebody has to. And since it's worthwhile work and worthwhile information and worthwhile research, I'd rather make sure it gets done than just say, oh, we don't, it's not our work to do. So we're not going to do it. Somebody has to do it. And especially since we were paid to do it. It's not like my time isn't being appreciated. So why wouldn't you want, especially people who will be able to understand what we found, like as an HBCU student, as a black person, a black woman, I can understand the implications, the images and the research in a way that other students may not understand, specifically white students, because what you see as not racist, I see as racist and only someone from our walk can really determine what's racist or not. So being able to have people who actually understand implications and the kind of microaggressive things that go on, I think is important. So saying that it's not our work, I understand where you may be coming from, but it has to be done and why not do it? Or why not have people who can actually understand it do it? And I think it's about taking back our narrative. There you go. Yeah. um, That was my response always. (laughs) I was like, I don't trust anyone else to do this. Honestly, like I really don't. Like Bree said, we have to do this ourselves because there are some people that will see something like, we've already seen some people don't see black faces racist. So Mm -hmm. we definitely need to take back our narrative and tell you, okay, no, this is not okay this is not right this is racist you need to get so i definitely think that for them to say that it's not our line of work first of all we're students we don't have work (laughs) (laughs) for real (laughs) we pay tuition and room and board and we go to school so we don't have work and i think that presenting this project as an idea or as a career can lead to so many different things when i was going into a linguistics program that was all the way across the country that wasn't my work linguistics is not my field political sciences but because i now have gone through that program with a linguistics lens I see the world completely different Mm -hmm. and I'll see the world completely different after this experience because now I redefine what racism looks like for me, what racism is and how that includes different communities. So there's so much learning to be done from jobs like these. And I don't see why you would limit only two people who have experience in that who may not have the same lens that we do as students of fresh new perspective when you can have five brilliant women Mm. We're coming from uh, the the number one HBCU, if we have to repeat that again, the number one HBCU <laughs> in the country. I don't see why not. Yeah, and I also like how you gave it to <laughs> opportunities to HBCU students because HBCU students are generally seen as bottom of the barrel. We are, when applying for jobs and stuff like that, seen in society, it's like we're seeing like we had it easy like that. We don't have any real skills and stuff like that. And archiving and being able to do research, that is a great skill that will be able to lead you further in life. So the fact that you allow HBCU students to have that opportunity it just gives us more of a leg up when when we get into the job world and when we get into the real world we have these skills that we built up just for doing this project I already put this project on my resume yes I did that the first day and also um (laughs) Just the simple fact that I came into this project not really too well-versed in archiving or research. So even though it wasn't my line of work, now it is because I was, it's not like y'all just threw us in there and was like, okay, if you don't do it right, you're going to be fired. Y'all taught us different techniques and different ways and different information. So, you know, I guess I don't really understand how it would be a conflict because not only are we being paid to 
kind of learn different skills we're also you know it's just i just don't i don't understand yeah i don't see why anybody would say this is a conflict just because at the end of the day we're college students and we're learning yeah Mm -hmm. so like that's the whole point of our education experience that we're just supposed to be learning and trying different things yeah Yeah, tell those people to come in here archive with us and since they got a problem with it yeah honestly that's cbs 6 news right here in richmond if you want to come in and speak to these students very particularly they ran a really they they ran a really terrible story about this initially and yes just come see me wait what i'm so i i didn't see the story yeah it was early on and it basically created a narrative of that this project was harmful and toxic to black young minds um i think it's more so harmful and toxic to ignorant white minds yeah because of what we might find i think that that would be for that the word would be cleansing um <laughs> yep yeah which is why it's important taking back that narrative because that's what you think from your lens mm-hmm. um so right. it's important that our lens is the one that's doing this research you know and it was important for us to choose hbcu students because you all are coming from a very protected space in this type of information and you all would come with a certain lens as well as it would flip that narrative what michaela was talking about about who you are as students and now what skills you can come out of undergrad with of archiving and research to a very pop culture topic, which is now yearbooks. So I want you guys to take a a quick second and to think I'm gonna ask you all any of your last words as we head out of here. I wanna say, as far as call of action, we as black people, black students, we need to do a lot more our own history. Whether you go to a PWI, HBCU, or you don't go to school at all, we need to take the initiative to learn about black history that they don't teach in schools because it actually is very enlightening and it teaches you a lot about how our ancestors were treated not even our ancestors because this was this could be our grandparents were treated in this country that could be very important in creating solidarity within the black community because there is there can be sometimes a lot of separation within the black community so that can create a lot of solidarity within the black community and make us stronger also demanding from our leaders people that we pay our taxes to the people that we pay our tuition for school to the things that we want to see in our community because you know at the end of the day it's our community not just you know black people i'm talking about richmond in general people that were just demanding the things that we want to see change because it doesn't happen unless you really advocate for it and sometimes it can take a long time to get that done takeaway is that we have to do a better job of demanding what we deserve and what we want to see because otherwise it will not happen really using our voices. Number one, June 11th, primaries, please vote. (laughs) I will say that until I'm blue in the face. Second, if I've learned anything from this, educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourself about who you are voting for. I mean, I'm doing the research, like I'm doing, I'm doing the research in Kansas, like I'm doing the research in these yearbooks kind of voting or are kind of educating. And I'm really encouraging for Virginia and for the black community as a whole to do the same for who they would want to have represent them. That's the first thing. Definitely, just in case you didn't hear the date, June 11th. <laughs> Why don't you go, go ahead and give that November date, November 5th, too. November 5th, too. Just, just put, go ahead, put that on your calendar, put a reminder, June Take 11th off and from November work. 5th. It's already clo- we're, we We already, voting day is... Well, take off from work because not this is not a national holiday yet. Mm-hmm. So if you are out there working, not a student. Yep, because some people can't take off for work and they can't vote. And that's all we have a Leave lot of problems school. now. It's okay. You're fine. You'll, your, your, your first period will be just fine. So yeah, that's the first takeaway. Second takeaway is, well, it's not, not even a takeaway, but I just really want to thank all of you, really. Each and every awesome. one of you has had such a huge impact in a short amount of time. And you've taught me so much that I didn't even realize that I needed to know until I knew it. And I couldn't be more grateful for this experience. And I just want to 
to make sure that you know that you're awesome. Yeah, honestly. You're amazing. Thank you for feeding me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank we, you. We feed them every time we come together. Oh, we understand that's food. part of being a college student. And thank you for just providing this space and for inspiring me to, to create my own space for the things that matter to me. And that goes into the second takeaway. Start creating your own spaces. Stop waiting for the spaces to be available. Start using your skills to make it better, make it easier for somebody else to come up with you. And when you're creating those spaces, make sure that you have somebody else come along with you so that way they can see how to do it and they can do it for themselves. This project has taught me so much about the need for representation and for the need to start being more inclusive and to not shut off the Black community. It's more important now than ever that minorities, we have our own problems in the Black community that we need to solve, but as a minority, as a whole, we need to band together because Minority women as well. Minority women. So certainly. We need to band together. And it's more important now than ever. I just came back from Morocco and I saw so many people that are different shades, different races working together. And I don't see why we can't do that here. And I can't wait to spread this message that I've learned from here. I can't wait to hopefully spread this to the organization that I created. I can't wait to spread it with you guys. You guys really mean a lot to me. Oh my God. This family right here. All of of you. Well, I just want to say that for call to action or for my takeaway is how important it is to create these spaces. February 1st through probably February 28th, I was at the Capitol almost every single day supporting protesters, supporting people that wanted their voices heard. And what I saw was a lot of frustration. And in that moment, I wanted to create something positive and give something back. And I'm a local advocate. I'm a social worker. I'm broke, right? I don't have Hello. a bunch I don't have a bunch of resources and this racial equity political work does not pay unless you are kissing certain ass very transparently. So in that moment, I just want to call out everyone that says that they are a leader, everyone that says that they are an influencer, everyone says that, you know, I have a platform. My mic might be small, but I understand that it is mighty. And we were able to get thousands of dollars within a matter of days to support this program. But it took a crisis, it took a trauma, and it took us banding together and saying, let's do something right in the middle of wrong. And it shouldn't take those moments for us to step up and do the right thing with our dollars. And that's really what equity is about. And if we're not having the conversation about where to put our money into these types of programs, into the education, into the resources, into the food, right? Even being able to talk about how to create a safer space as we talk about historical trauma. I just challenge everyone that says that they are a leader to make sure that you are creating this pipeline that trains and teaches other people, creates the access and just gives out the emails and different numbers to other people so they can continue this work even without you. That is really our place as quote unquote influencers. And that's what I want to put out there of what are you giving back to the youth? What are you giving back to black youth? And yeah, we definitely, we definitely need to increase funding for um, HBCUs. They are under attack. Like There are a lot of HBCUs that are closing. Yeah. It's crazy. My mom's HBCU that she went to, St. Paul's College, closed, I don't even know how many years ago. It's probably almost 10 years ago. Yeah, I used to go ago. when I was at Longwood and we'd go hang out at St. Paul's. So we definitely need to increase funding for our HBCUs and also for politicians. Minority politicians are very important. Minority rep- representation in politics is very important, but it's just as important to force our politicians to have minority representations in their staff because I don't see a lot. I don't think they heard that. Woo! 
honestly, I don't think yeah, they heard that. Wait a minute. Because I didn't hear that. <laughs> yeah, because minority representation in political staff, there is none. Like, right. literally. It's right. it's crazy. Well, and that's what happened with this entire piece, I, I feel like. He had no black staff, no black anyone talking to him, no black advisement. Yeah, so we, we definitely need that because I have seen that a lot working in a lot of political offices and stuff. I see, I, I've been in a lot of situations where I was literally the only black person in the room. Sometimes even the only minority in the room and it is actually very sad and we definitely need to change that. Yeah, I will also just put that out, not just to the staff, but to the interns, to- Pay the interns. Yeah, please pay interns. Not just VCU interns either. (laughs) There's plenty. Listen, there's more colleges. Shout out to Delegate Airs for are, paying me, but mm. I feel for the rest of the for the delegate interns because they wasn't they oh, wasn't yeah. necessarily in that situation. Oh, yeah. So shout out to Delegate Airs for paying me, Eric Neal. I sure did receive receive and took that check. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, imagine imagine having to work in the General Assembly, driving there almost every day, and having to pay to park. Mm. And so I'm literally losing money to be an intern. And, Pay and, interns. <laughs> and that eliminates people's ability to even participate in these internships, yeah. right? Experience, yeah. And they ask you for you experience before you even get a job. But if in I the- can't even afford to get my experience, how do you expect me to ever be in a position to help you with your job? You know. Shout out to Confusion. the Black Congressional Caucus for paying those interns yeah. and for mm-hmm. providing them housing. Mm-hmm. Shout out to yeah. any of the delegates, any of the state senators any who del- are doing the same. Shout out to Donald McKeech shout out to everybody who is recognizing that you know we don't have just unlimited resources as a college student in fact we have very limited resources the most limited resources when it comes to being a college student and for recognizing that and for not letting that be a barrier because that's a lot of barriers for african-american students and minority students in general yeah i saw when i was working in the general assembly i saw that it was really easy for vcu students to get there like some of them i know a lot of them did end up getting paid or got a stipend for doing it they got class credit and there was a bus that literally took you from bsu to the general assembly and back BCU, yeah, BCU. BCU, I'm sorry. Wow. Like, yeah, so they made it really easy for VCU students, but people at VUU and VSU had a struggle to work at the General Assembly, and that's definitely an issue because there's definitely significant differences in those type two schools, yeah. PWI versus HBCU. But we definitely need to make it a lot easier for HBCU students and minority students in general just to be able to work in the General Assembly or work in political offices. All right. Well, I thank you, ladies. Said it all. Well, probably not everything, which is June 11th, please, November 5th. That's it. Yeah, like I could, I, I could, I could talk, I could sit here and talk all day about a whole bunch of topics, but I you know we have a time limit, so. We do, but that doesn't mean we have to stop this conversation, right? We have to continue these conversations, not just here, but within our community, within our circles, study groups, party groups. Group chats. On Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram, too, because it's a lot of times where people find their platform. It is. And we will definitely be back because we definitely have a lot to talk about. Yep. Well, you all are welcome here at Race Capital RVA Dirt anytime. I thank you for your voices, for your time, for your energy, and mostly for your trust in us to do this. And I can't wait to see where this goes. Yep. Thank, you. Oh, thank you. Thank you guys so much. We love you so much. And like like we said, you guys taught us a lot about just a lot of stuff that we didn't even think we needed to know how to learn. Know what to um, know that we needed to learn. So thank you for that. All right. This is Chelsea XYs with Race Capital. You just tuned in to the first hour of the special of Race Capital and Municipal Mania's two-hour special to cover our HBCU Research Fellowship. Stay tuned. I'm from the R, the I, the C, the H, the N, the